0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. Just in, the Archbishop, Catholic Archbishop Carlo Vignano made an audacious call for the Swiss Guards to arrest Pope Francis and Cardinal Victor Tuco Fernandez. The Archbishop claims that Francis and Fernandos look less like shepherds of the faith and more like wolves in liberal clothing. On top of that, a priest has been defrocked because he married a young woman. The Pope then has told Roman Catholics to stop watching porn And an evangelical, respected evangelical pastor on air for over 30 years has now recommended that Christians attend gay and transgender weddings. And finally, a Catholic university has invited a homosexual priest to lead a queer holiness event. What say you about these things, my friends? Do you have a dog in this fight? Maybe and maybe not. Pastor, do you have a dog in this fight? Maybe and maybe not. But I suggest that perhaps if you don't, you will. Because quite frankly, what we're experiencing now is what one businessman called the quiet surrender of America. And I would call it the quiet surrender of America of the entire Western world. I would call it the quiet surrender, maybe not so quiet, but the quiet surrender of the entire Christian element of the Western world. The country, for instance, here in the United States that you and I were once comfortable in and proud of is fundamentally different now than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. There's been a radical shift in who and what being an American feels like and talks like. An entirely new language of words and ideas and priorities has been levied upon us. They have led to the quiet surrender of America. And who or what has that kind of power and what's at stake, Asked this businessman. He goes back to the election of Barack Obama. And he says Obama and his trusted lieutenants were the keepers of the flame. They intended to convert America into a European-style state that could eventually become part of a world government. To do so, an ambitious plan was created to force changes upon people under the guise of social responsibility. Well, there's a lot of truth in that, and one wonders why in the world would on this program As we open the program, looking at the church in its broader perspective and the issues that have developed just in the last few days, why would we talk about the quiet surrender of America or the West, which seems to have political implications? The reason, friends, is because there is a link between the political and the pastoral, between the link, uh, a link between... The political and the religious and the legal and the economic, they are all linked. The attitudes and spirit that is governing one is governing the other. They are intermeshed in ways that most people do not fully recognize. And that's what we intend to do here on this program, not only today, but every single day. To connect the dots... And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. I just received a rather stern letter uh, today from someone that I respect who uh, took me to the test, to the woodshed, so to speak, over some things that I had said on a program, not really fully understanding the nature of what was said and why it was said, but nevertheless expressing their viewpoint. And I understand that. We all have our viewpoints. The problem with our viewpoints is they're not all neutral. Our neutral, our viewpoints do determine destiny. One way or the other, they do. Some in little ways, some in more uh, dramatic ways, but they all have a way of determining and directing destiny. So today on Viewpoint, we're looking at these issues that have been spread before us And we're asking ourselves together, one way of putting it would be, how should we then live? Seeing that these things are developing the way they are, the attitudes, the actions, the recommendations, the compromises, the adjustments, whatever you want to call them, are happening right before our eyes and have been happening over quite a number of years, and I've been watching them happening uh, since the mid-1960s and early 1970s, from California first and then onward to the East Coast and everywhere in between. Been watching these things develop, and if we have had an eye to see and an ear to hear and a heart to understand, we would perhaps have been able to perhaps avoid some of these things, But the problem is we've not had that willingness, either the eye to see, the ear to hear, the heart to understand, or the will to do anything about it. There's always a reason, always a justification, always a reason to compromise. And the most used or abused reason for compromise is, well, aren't we supposed to love one another? Wasn't good. didn't the Bible say that God is love? That we should be imitators of God and walk in love as dear children? Indeed, He did. But the same God also said that the practice of homosexuality was an abomination in His eyes. The same God who said that we should walk in love also said He hated divorce. The same God who said that we should walk in love and that we should love one another and forgive one another also said that whoever divorces their spouse commits adultery and whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. What are we to do with these expressions? Well, we decided what to do with them. Nothing. In other words, dismiss them as somehow in violation of walking in love. But the Bible doesn't tell us just to walk in love. It tells us to walk in truth. In fact, we can't even understand love without truth. It's truth that defines love, not love that defines truth. And unfortunately, we're always prone to put the cart before the horse. Now, and to let the tail, by the way, wag the dog. So, we're going to take a look at these items here, and I hope that you will listen with an open heart, with an open mind. I'm not going to tell you what to do in response, but I am going to open up the issues so that each one of us can think probingly in our own minds and hearts. What if you were the Pope? What if you were a pastor? What if you're a parent and you have to make one of these kinds of decisions like my wife and I are going to have to do here shortly? What will you do then? Welcome back to Viewpoint. I have a question for you. Does the love of the Lord override or dismiss the fear of the Lord? If we don't properly understand the concept of the fear of the Lord, how can we properly understand the love of the Lord? You see, the problem we have is we want to either go all whole hog one way or whole hog the other way. But the Bible does tell us, as I recall, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The knowledge of the holy. You see, if there's any one characteristic that describes God, it's holiness. That's the overarching characteristic of God. Holiness. So what is it that God has asked of us? Well, if you go to the Old Testament, you find he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He said that to Israel. We go to the New Testament, and Jesus says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Then we find it picked up by the Apostle Peter that we should walk in holiness. Then the writer of Hebrews says that without holiness no man shall even see the Lord. So it appears that holiness has a superimposing uh, value or authority that is first rooted in the fear of the Lord, and then from there we add the other characteristics of the Lord as he describes himself, a God of truth, a God of love, uh, a God of compassion, a God of grace and mercy and so on. We can't even understand those things without first having the undergirding fear of the Lord, and understanding that God is first a God of truth and holiness. That having been said, laying that kind of foundation, you being a jury of my peers here today, as I come before you as, shall we say, a Christian lawyer. Now, we're, we're not here to look at this thing in a law-like way. We're here to look at it in the context of what the spirit of what the bible says to us and why it says it the bible talks about how we are to conduct ourselves in life how we are to understand truth how we are to respond to people when they do not act in truth that we do not, when they do not act in holiness when they do not act in righteousness when they do not act in the fear of the lord the Apostle Paul wrote about that, for instance, expressly to the Corinthian church that was the most sexually promiscuous in the Bible, as far as we can tell. Boy, I'll tell you, they gave competition to America. He said there are things going on in your church that you don't even see in the secular world. And he said, I want to talk about one particular person there. There's one guy in your church He said they're doing some things that uh, you, you just cannot allow to continue in your congregation because, as he said, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So you have to get rid of him. You have to remove him, not because you hate him, but because you cannot allow the complete body to be defiled by what this man is doing because it's contagious. Sexual sin is contagious. It just is. All you have to do is look what's happened over the past uh, sixty years, seventy years since the sexual revolution, and you can see how contagious it is. It affects your laws. It affects your uh, your uh, libraries. It affects uh, your economics. It affects your churches. It affects your families. It's affecting everything. Everything, including the Vatican including some of the most preeminent Christian speakers, leaders in our country today. Many of whom are succumbing or making quiet surrender in ways that they justify in order to make that compromising surrender. So here we go. We go first to the rather audacious announcement or call by the Archbishop Carlo Vignano calling for the Swiss Guard to arrest Pope Francis and Cardinal Victor Tucho Fernandes. And his statement, as the report uh, says, was laden with fiery language, accusing the Pope and Cardinal of heresy and perversion, calling for their immediate immediate removal. I actually listened to him. So I know what they're talking about. He didn't deliver it in a fiery way, but the impact of it was fiery. He said, the blasphemous sewer regurgitations of this uh, Cardinal Victor Tuco's repulsive pamphlet, sexual pamphlet, shows such a level of perversion and alienation to the faith as to demand the expulsion of both the Argentinian, that is the Pope, and his accomplices. He said, the Swiss guards have sworn to defend the See of Peter, not the one who is systematically demolishing it. Let them, therefore, be faithful to their oath and arrest these heretical perverts. So he's calling the Pope and this Cardinal perverts. Vignano's outrage was sparked by Fernandez's book called The Mystical Passion, Spirituality and Sensuality. Vignano condemned the secularization of society, warning against the replacement of Catholicism with what he called Luciferian paganism and the New World Order. Notice his use of those two terms, Luciferian paganism and the New World Order. Now, why would he combine those two? Because, friends, that's exactly what's happening. The new world order, or global order, is being formed by godless individuals who are trying to replace God. They have no love or concern for God and his righteousness, his holiness, or his creator. They believe in their chutzpah that, in fact, they can be as gods. So, as I wrote about that in my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, you will see how it's all laid out there. If you don't have the book, I urge you to get a copy of the book because it shows you how surreptitiously so many of these ideas are weaving their way through in the name of a various kinds of counterfeit messiahships. So, Archbishop Vignano, there in the Roman Catholic Church, is warning against the replacement of the Christian faith with Luciferian paganism and the New World Order. Luciferian paganism. Well, that reminds me that uh, it was Albert Pike, the uh, one of the chief heads of Freemasonry, wrote the... Uh, the famous book on uh, Freemasonry, Morals and Gogma, he said, ultimately, that Freemasonry is the worship of Lucifer. And Freemasonry is one of the engines that has existed since the 1700s for the purpose of uniting the world in a new global world order. It's only one of many, but it is one. He used exactly the same language, Luciferian worship or paganism. Now we go forward. We'll come back to that in the second half of the program. Then, in a decisive move that underscores the Catholic Church's commitment to its sacred vows, according to this statement coming from the political globe a 30-year-old priest from Alabama has been permanently removed from his clerical duties. The former priest, Alex Crowe, made headlines when he married a recent high school graduate, graduate, an act that has led to what is called his laicization. In other words, he's being defrocked as a priest and turned into not a priest, but a member of the laity. The Archdiocese of Mobile, Alabama, announced that Pope Francis had completely completed the laicization of Alex Crow. Effective immediately, this was deemed to be a horrible moral crime for a priest to marry. So the finality of the Pope's decision, the article says, marks a significant moment in church discipline. The problem with this is that the Pope is being very selective in what he decides to be discipline-worthy. He's decided to discipline a priest that married as if that were an immoral act that the Bible does not prohibit, in fact, perhaps actually prohibits a rule against such marriage. On the other hand, the very same pope refuses to condemn the practice of homosexuality, H.G.G.P.D. All, uh, all of these other uh, activities, and uh, has just most recently said, you know, let's play footsie with uh, transgenderism. And uh, same sex marriage. We're not going to call it marriage. He said, we'll just, we'll just have some civil arrangements here, but we're not going to get too tough on you. Now that's what God calls an abomination. Remember the practice of homosexuality, an abomination that which transcends or comes against his creation order. Marrying does not come against his creation order. In fact, it supports his creation order. you begin to see how we pick and choose. Why was the choice made? The choice was made to protect the perceived power within the Roman Catholic Church as a unwed priesthood, a celibate priesthood when the reality is that within the Vatican itself it is well-known and has been well-known for a very long period of time, and Pope Francis himself well-knows that many of the so-called clergy within the Vatican itself are practicing homosexuals. It seems that we're more interested in protecting those that are within and disciplining those that are without. But that will bring us to yet another issue. We're going to move away from the Catholic Church for a moment, because this isn't primarily just a Catholic issue. This is a Christian issue. This is an issue that both Protestants and Catholics are facing all across this country. For instance, all across this country, in many larger churches in the country, I'm not saying all, I said many. I do know this to be a fact, pastors admit it, that they have been willing to hire known practicing homosexuals as worship leaders because they were so effective. Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. I know of two, if not three, such situations, particularly within my own sphere of uh, involvement over the past uh, 40 years. Now, why would we be willing to do that and not bring discipline within the body of Christ? Because we just choose not to. We have our reasons. Well, they're so effective. They have such feeling. They're so able to orchestrate the people in feelings and worship. And it, I mean, how could we possibly reject that? Well, we're not rejecting the feelings. We're not rejecting the worship. What we're rejecting is the sinful, unrighteous practice that metastasizes its way through the whole body. And begins to show approval. Now we come to Alistair Begg. Now we mentioned the Pope, and we mentioned uh, Vignano, and We so we're going to have to mention some names here. I don't like to do this, and usually we don't do this on this program. But when somebody is so prominent, as is Alistair Begg, all over Christian radio... I listened to his very first radio program coming out of Salem Radio back when I was in California as a lawyer. He's been on the air for about 35 years. Let's hear what he has to say. There is
1: so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. dot org marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus dot org. Also,
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. You know, I, I would urge you to seriously consider getting a copy of my book, uh, The Secret of the Lord. It's a hardbound book. The secret of the Lord, the Bible says, is with those who fear him, and to them he will show or manifest his covenant. The secret of the Lord. This, the uh, theme of the fear of the Lord makes its way like a river through the entire Old Testament, and through the New Testament. It's the foundation of our faith. There is no promise of God that becomes a reality in any person's life without some aspect of the fear of the Lord being embraced, including salvation itself. All the promised blessings of God are contingent upon the fear of the Lord as the foundation. And it's our absence or our abandonment of the fear of the Lord in our country and across the Western so-called Christian world that has led us to the chaos that we're now in, both in and out of the church, whether whether Protestant or Catholic, doesn't matter. The book, The Secret of the Lord, it's a $20 hardbound book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at one 800 Save USA, that's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We will never recover what we say we want to recover in America unless and until in God's house we re-embrace the fear of the Lord. And it's not as a concept, but as a reality in agreeing with God's word, his will, and his ways in all regards. If we disagree, if we dis his word in any way, we reveal we do not live in the fear of the Lord. We expect him to live in our fear. Because after all, I mean... We can make our own decisions, right? So let's consider. I want you to consider what happened now with regard to this beloved pastor, Alistair Begg. And I'm not here to put him down. He's a very good speaker. He speaks with a nice brogue. Uh, he's a pastor of a large church in Cleveland, Ohio. Has been on the radio, put on there by Salem uh, Radio back in. Uh, Oh, in the uh, the late 80s, I believe, or early 90s. It's been over 30 years. I listened to his very first program. So, his program is called Truth For Life. He's offered, authored a number of books, and that's not before us today. So, during a recent program of Truth For Life, Alistair Begg offered a scenario where a Christian woman called in saying that her grandson is about to marry a transgendered person. It was either a man transitioned to a woman or a woman transitioned to a man. And he wants to know if she should attend the wedding. The Christian woman wants to know if she should attend the wedding of her grandchild that's marrying a transgendered person. So he said, Well, a lot of people aren't going to like my answer. So, what was his answer? Begg said, Alistair Begg said, that as long as the grandson knows that she believes it's sinful and she does not agree with it, then she should attend the ceremony and even buy them a gift, because if not, her absence will simply reinforce the fact that she's judgmental and critical. I want you to think about this. He said the lady was caught off guard. So Veg went on to say, well, here's the thing your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said, these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. So he said, we're going to have to take a risk, a lot more, if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and don't understand that he's a king. (laughs) I'm sorry, my friend, Uh, maybe I'm blind in one eye and cannot see out of the other. But if Alistair Begg wants to emphasize that Jesus is a king, and then he wants to encourage the king's followers to diss what the king says and embrace and put their uh, tacit approval of what the king says he hates, I don't understand this rationale. There's only one way to justify this kind of thinking and that is to substitute some version of the love of God over the truth of God and somehow encourage us to engage in that which, approving that which God hates in order to draw others into the love of Christ. To me, that's a total non sequitur. In fact, I don't think words are sufficient to express the diametric opposition of such thinking to the very purpose for which this wonderful pastor, otherwise wonderful pastor, is encouraging his flock to do. And many of us parents and grandparents are having to face exactly the same issue. Pastors are having to face the same issue. Is Pastor Beg going to uh, then, along the same rationale, uh, when this grandson and his transgendered uh, spouse wants to get him to marry them, is he going to marry them then? Because he doesn't want them to see that Christians reject and are, uh, what's the term, uh, unprepared to countenance anything in our judgmental. Something is wrong with this picture. Drastically wrong. In other words, what we're engaging in is the quiet or not so quiet surrender to the culture, even in our most respected congregations and by some of our most respected leaders. It's not that we want to be nasty and hard-nosed and run around in a judgmental attitude toward people. Judgmentalism is an attitude, friends. Righteousness is embracing God's standard for life and living accordingly. And with righteousness, without righteousness... We cannot have holiness. And without holiness, the Bible says, no man will see the Lord, including a pastor. So if a pastor encourages his flock to live and conduct themselves in such a way that is both unholy and unrighteous, no matter how he rationalizes it, are we not in great danger? This is exactly what the Roman Catholic Archbishop, Vignano, was calling the Swiss uh, guards to arrest Pope Francis for. Archbishop Vignano's outcry was not merely a reaction to the content of the book of the uh, the Cardinal, but a culmination of what he perceives as a series of transgressions within the church itself. He's accused the current papacy of systematically dismantling the foundation of principles of the Christian faith. And he sees the arrest of these figures as a necessary step to defend what he calls the See of Peter and uphold the sanctity of the church. Let's just re- re- reposition those words. He sees the arrest of these figures as a necessary step to protect the Christian faith. so that we stop playing games in the name of the vicar of Christ or in the name of a pastor or priest or parachurch leader or whatever who purports to stand in authority for Christ but compromises whenever it's convenient. Vignano's declaration is a scathing indictment of the church's trajectory over the past century. He traces a pattern of infiltration and subversion within the Roman Catholic Church, likening it to the tactics used by secular governments. And he's right. The Archbishop argues that a series of compromises and tolerances, notice those words, compromises and tolerances, have led to the current state of affairs where the Vatican is described as being reduced to a brothel. The Archbishop has been a vocal critic of what he calls the deep church and the alignment of globalist agendas within the church. Why? Because in order to align with the globalist agenda, you have to embrace the globalist viewpoints, the moral and spiritual viewpoints. And that's the reason why, Pope Francis has been doing this little dance with the devil, so to speak, over the issue of homosexuality, homosexual marriage, and so on, because he knows that he has, to, he, he feels like he needs to curry favor to gain a larger global dominion for the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy. That's how he's doing it, to compromise. Vignano, the Archbishop, does not only address the Swiss Guards, but also the broader Catholic community. He urges collective resistance against the forces that seek to undermine the church, advocating for a return to the core tenets of the faith and a rejection of modernist interpretations that dilute its message. The response of Vignano's call has been mixed, with some praising his courage and others cautioning against divisiveness. That's exactly what's happening in the Protestant community, friends, even among so called evangelicals and even fundamentalists. Are you listening? What's your thought? We'll be right back.
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Click Cell Church.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're grappling uh, with developments that have taken place just in the last few days, uh, both uh, in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Protestant churches in America and around the world. And they're revealing the serious, serious Uh, Assault that is taking place that we're willingly allowing to take place. We're quietly surrendering to the authority of the culture. The authority of the culture. In one of these articles, it says, who has authority? In fact, it's this businessman, Alan Pfeiffer, who wrote the article, The Quiet Surrender of America. He says, he asked the question, who or what has this kind of power and what's at stake? I'll tell you what has this kind of power, friends. The culture that we are submitting to from the church house to the White House to the schoolhouse to uh, your house and the courthouse in every house in America and around the world, the Western world. We're almost in in a state of total submission, or surrender. In other words, we're throwing up our hands and saying, what else can I do? I have to give in. Case in point, a few years ago, the LA Times, Los Angeles Times, interviewed a prominent evangelical pastor concerning the subject of hell. The pastor was asked whether he believed in hell. And he said yes. So the person that was interviewing him for the L.A. Times says, well, do you preach on it? And he said no. So then the interviewer asked, well, the reporter asked, well, why don't you preach on it? And here was his answer. Listen very carefully. Because hell isn't sexy anymore. That's what he said. And he was even on this program to admit it. Now, let's put it another way. About 15 years ago, I interviewed a relatively well-known Christian musician here on this program. He had written a small book called, I think it was called A Violent Grace, and then about coming to the cross. It was about the cross. And as we were talking, he interrupted our conversation. He said, uh, Chuck, I think your listeners need to know something. I said, well, what is it? Here's what he said. Your listeners need to know that I took this book to many Christian publishers, and they refused to touch it. He said, would you like to know what they told me? Here's what they said. The cross doesn't sell well anymore. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you we have surrendered to the power of the culture, the power of the cross, the power of Christ, is virtually irrelevant anymore in the church in America. We'll put it this way, relatively irrelevant. We say it's still relevant, but not so much when it comes to the conflict with the culture. The culture has gained dominion over Christ. The argument used to be is it, is it, uh, Christ and culture? Is it, uh, Christ over culture or is it, uh, Christ, uh, culture over Christ? Well, now it used to be said, well, it's, uh, Christ and culture, some would say that. Others would say it was Christ over culture. Today, it's culture over Christ. In almost every choice that is being made by church leaders within the Roman Catholic Church and within the Protestant churches, it's culture over Christ. Go to the Church of England. Same thing. Everywhere. And I'm sure that there are some who will say, "Well, my pastor would never do that." Friends, please. I know you love and respect your pastor, and i don't I don't fault you for that, but he's a human being. Pastors are human beings. I was raised in a pastor's home. I am a pastor and pastors are tested and tempted just like every other human being by the very same temptations, in fact, more. This is why persecution is going to have such a dramatic effect upon the church in America, and we don't even understand it. We don't get it but we're laying the foundation for it by capitulating to the culture. So the culture now, we are giving tantamount authority over God and his word in the practices and even in the preaching in our pulpits. There are things that we just won't talk about. One pastor at a Wesleyan church said, we don't talk about persecution in our church. He was asked, well, why? And uh, he said, well, it just isn't popular. Really. I was never aware that persecution was ever thought to be popular. It wasn't popular with Jesus. It wasn't popular with any of the apostles. But Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we're doing everything that we can to avoid persecution by the culture. And the more we do this the more we are succumbing to the power of the culture that ultimately will rule with an iron fist over God's people. And then, then what are you going to do? Next article. The University of Notre Dame is hosting a queer holiness event, to discuss experiential Christian anthropology. You can call it whatever you want to. You can concoct any kind of fancy scientific theological name, whatever. The reality is they're submitting to the culture to bring in the practice of homosexuality and normalize it in the Catholic university known as Notre Dame. On March 23rd, the university's John Riley Center is hosting a Queer Holiness event with Reverend Dr. Charlie Bell to address the church's hostile questions regarding the LGBTQ community. Who is the Reverend Dr. Charlie Bell? He's a homosexual deacon in the Church of England. And a Cambridge fellow who's authored a book called Queer Holiness, which claims to find a better way to do theology. In other words, to rationalize that which God says is an abomination in his eyes, in the name of love and grace. And the event is being sponsored by the Center for Spirituality at St. Mary's College alongside Notre Dame. Have we heard of the Pope condemning this? No. Will he? No. Why won't he? Because he feels and has already told the world that he needs to come alongside and play footsie with the homosexual agenda in order to win more people to come under the sheltering, governing wings of the papacy. Maybe this is part of the seduction that the book of Revelation chapter 17 talks about. You might think about it. And then, finally, the the Pope has decided to do something really good. He's decided to make an address to come after one of his top cardinals that was convinced, well, he didn't come after him. What he did is, after the top cardinal was condemned for writing a sexually explicit book by Archbishop Vigano, now the Pope decided... I'm going to divert the attention to another issue. I'm not going to put the attention on my cardinal who is involved in all of this pornographic stuff. I'm going to put the attention on porn. So he said, in an address, winning the battle against lust, against the objectification of the other, can be a lifelong endeavor. So Pope Francis declared before denouncing pornography as a manifestation of the demon of lust. He called on Catholics to reject what he called satisfaction without relationship and practice pure love in the giving of oneself to the other. Nothing that he said with regard to porn broke with the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. But what he did do is in the language that he used he actually gave sway to the practice of homosexuality and transgenderism how did he do that he called on catholics to reject what he called satisfaction without relationship and practice pure love in the giving of oneself to the other you notice he didn't say in marriage why didn't he do that because it would have undermined his entire agenda to bring the entire homosexual and LGBTQ and transgenderism and all of that under the mothering arms of the papacy. As a global enterprise to secure the the Pope's role in being the grand religious shall we say, uh, father of globalism, which he has gone out of his way to support. Now, I don't know about you. You may call this, there are some may that call this a diatribe. That's a pejorative term designed to put down a legitimate com- uh, commentary on a serious issue. The use of the word rant or diatribe is a new modern pejorative term used to cover over that which a person doesn't want to listen to. No matter how legitimate it might be. Instead of dealing with it on its merits, they want to call it a label, a rant, or some other term that is perceived to be relatively derisive. It's the unfortunate thing, my friends, is that we have almost given up the ability or will to discuss serious issues in our midst. Almost completely given it up. We might do it in private, but when it comes to revealing in public, oh my goodness, you better shut up because the culture wields its cudgel over us and will compel us to do its will. So we're just going to have to ask Christ to forgive us for submitting and surrendering to the culture. It's just the way it is. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint. Get a copy of the book, The Secret of the Lord, $15. It'll help you to understand what it is that we need to recover with regard to the fear of the Lord, and maybe get a process of thinking in your own mind and heart to change the destiny of your own family, your congregation family. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. God bless, be a blessing. And let's humble ourselves before the Lord.